Tracy, and uh, I appreciate that song so much because today we're going to go up to the mountain and we are invited to peer into the throne room of Almighty God. In our study in Revelation, we find ourselves in chapter 5. Chapter 4 and 5 are closely related, and I would like for us to uh, consider both chapters actually, but the text we're going to take our message from is in chapter 5. So if you will, take your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 5. I'm hoping that by the fifth Sunday of this month, we will be able to complete the book of Revelation because starting next Sunday is where it gets really intricate, complicated, um, and it's so difficult to pull together. But it is so interesting. And uh, because we did not live in the days that the Bible was written, we're not as familiar uh, with the concepts of the New Testament times. And so my challenge is to help bring us back to the times of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament prophecies about the return of the Messiah and the coming King of Kings and the the inauguration of the Kingdom of God. And uh, I hope that we can do that with some success because this book will make more sense to you, uh, will have more meaning to you once you understand the audience to whom it was written. Uh, Let me invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we begin. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this new day. We thank you for the opportunity to study this great book of the Bible that brings so much encouragement and so much hope to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are people here this morning who are struggling in the valleys of life. We're struggling to understand the meaning of our times. We are struggling to understand some assurance about the future. And yet you speak to us clearly from your word that you are God and you're in control. Lord, for these moments today, by your Holy Spirit as you spoke to John, Bring us to, through this open door, to gaze into the throne room of heaven. And there understand what worshiping the Lamb of God is really all about. That we may have just a small glimpse of what's taking place right now in the throne room of God. Lord, give us words that are adequate. Impress us through your Holy Spirit in ways that words cannot communicate. Give us, Father, that radiance of hope that we too one day will reign with you in your holy heaven forever and ever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. As I said, chapter 4 and chapter 5 are related to each other, but we are at a pivotal state or pivotal place here in this book of the Bible. Because what we understand that's going on in the throne room of God will help us to understand the opening of the seven seals that will show to us the future. And so we're dealing today with a subject that everybody wants, to, to, wants an answer. 
Philosophers want an answer. Children want an answer. Educated and uneducated want an answer as well. And the question is this. What is the meaning of life? What's the meaning of my life? What difference does my past make and what's happening in my present? And what will happen in my future? What's it all about? Everybody deals with that question, whether you're a philosopher or a child. And today we are invited through an open door in Revelation chapter 4 to peer into the throne room of God, and he has some answers for us. He has some answers for us. We're not going to read chapter 4. Let me try to summarize it for you. John is invited by the Holy Spirit as he's worshiping on the seventh day of the week, having been caught up in the Spirit. He's having a kind of ecstatic experience where he sees things that people don't normally see in the challenges and the perils and times in which they lived. And God says to him, come up here and look through this open door and I will share with you what the throne room of God looks like. And when John begins to look inside the throne room of God, he sees the very radiance of the presence of God. But he does not see God. He sees instead uh, the one who shines from the throne of God in the color of emerald, like the emerald and a rainbow. Colors in the book of Revelation mean everything, and green stands for eternal life. The God that we are invited to look at today is eternal. He also sees on the breastplates uh, these uh, jewels of red, one that understands that uh, God is a God of power, and God is a God of glory and majesty, God is also a God of judgment and wrath. When he sees God, he sees around the Lord the seven spirits of God. This number seven indicates the uh, completion or perfection of the Spirit of God, the ever-present Spirit of God. And each of these have eyes that peer and see us and watch us. And the first thing that John is learning about God in the throne room is He rules, he's in control, he's eternal, he is all-powerful, he is omniscient, and all of creation worships him. Around him are seated 24 elders. These elders are seated on smaller thrones. They represent the 12 tribes of Israel in our Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. These 12 elders that surround the throne of God represent the the very word of God given to us and the people of God that surround him in worship. Also in the throne room, there are creatures that are worshiping the Lord as well. One of them is an ox that represents the, uh, the animals of this world. One is like an eagle that is soaring, representing the birds of the sky. One is like a lion that represents the powerful beast of the field. And one is like a human. One is like a person. You and I are part of God's creation that surrounds the throne of God. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, the scripture says. 
And so as we sit in this throne room, we see that the eyes of the Holy Spirit and the elders that are seated around the very throne of God and are worshiping God has his eyes on his people. And what John is wanting to say to you and me as we peer into this throne room is this. God not only knows you because he made you, but God sees and understands what's going on in your life right now. And he knows that you need a break. There are times in everybody's life that we need a pause and a break from the challenges and the perils and the tribulations of the world in which we live. We all need a break. And he invites us to take that pause in heaven with him and understand that he knows what's going on in our life and he is wanting to be with us and wanting to give to us himself. God is not so far removed that he is uninvolved in our world, but God sees everything that takes place in our world. And he understands every trial that you're going through right now. And he wants you to take just a minute out of your busy, busy schedule and join in what all of creation is doing. The 24 elders bow down and worship him. The four living creatures that represent all that God created bow down and worship him. And here is what they are saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. They are singing, Worthy art thou, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. We serve a true and living God who is in touch with everything that's happening in our life now. And he invites us up into the throne room so that we can worship him. Why does he want us to do that? Why would God ask us to take a pause in our workaday world, in our trials that we face, in the challenges that we have? Why does he want us to take a pause and worship him? Why is there a Sabbath in the Bible? Why is there a day to set aside and pause and reflect on God who rules in his holy heaven? Well, one of the reasons or one of the benefits we have when we worship our Lord and our God is that we discover our purpose for life. We discover our purpose for life. The song that the creatures and the 24 elders are singing is in chapter 4, verse 11. And it says, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. Why am I here? I am here in this world to praise the living God who created me. I'm not an accident. I'm not here... Um, as, as an evolutionary process. I'm here because God spoke and everything that exists came into being. I'm here because God created me and put in me a desire to worship him and to serve him and to praise his holy name. And I will never know why I'm here until I learn to worship him up in his holy heaven. And when I began to take a pause and worship him, I understand why I'm here. There's something in my heart that's at rest when I worship the Lord. There's something in me that's at peace 
when I'm worshiping the Lord. Life fits. Life works out. Life has a purpose when I understand that I'm here to praise and to glorify God Almighty. We exist to praise the true and the living God who created us. When we refuse to do that, when we say, no, I will not praise the Lord, no, my life will be all about me and not about God, then nothing works out, nothing fits. We are disgruntled, we are out of sorts, we are trying to find our place in the world, we just can't find our place in the world. But when we come to understand that we, along with all of creation, were made to worship the living and true God, all of a sudden, life fits again. Our hearts are at rest when they rest in our understanding that we are here to worship the true and the living God. A second benefit that we understand from worship is that we expand our awareness of who God is. The more we worship God, the more we find God to worship. The more we worship God, the more we find that God gives us reasons to worship Him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said one time, Beloved friends, we may well continue to praise God, for our God continues to give us causes for praising Him. And that's kind of how chapter 4 outlines itself. We see in the throne room a little bit about God, and then there's more about God, and then there's more about God to understand. And because God is eternal, and because God is omniscient and all-powerful, we will never cease understanding all about God. So the more we know about God, the more we praise God. There's more to praise God for. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul put it this way. God loves you. He created to love you. He created you to exist with him in this holy heaven in a love relationship that will last forever and ever. And he said, I pray that you will know this love of Almighty God. This love that's in five dimensions, the height, the breadth, the width, the length, the depth, and the a circumference of the love of Almighty God that is beyond comprehension. God loves you more than you can comprehend. God loves you more than you can even understand. God loves you more than you can love Him back. And He just keeps loving you and loving you and loving you. The Apostle Paul said, I want you to know that very love of God. We have problems in our life, we have challenges in our life, we have perils, we have tribulations in our life that oftentimes give us a sour note in our storytelling about our relationship with God. We may not say it, we may not think about it too much, but there is a kind of a sour note in a lot of our minds between our relationship with God. Let's be honest about it. We've been through some perilous times in our life where it's left us with a little bit of sour taste in our mouth about the church a sour taste in our mouth about church people, a sour taste in our mouth about the obstacles of this life that we've had to endure. And there are times when it's hard to say, Lord, praise your name. Sometimes it's hard to do that. But God opens the door every time we worship him and he invites us up in the throne room and he says, let me give you one more thing to praise me for. If you've ever had a trial in your life and you don't know what your future is about, 
God wants to show you with this scroll that he is about to unfold that he has a future and a plan for your life. In Revelation chapter 5, we begin to see the Lord Jesus Christ who is going to be the Lamb of God who's worthy to to unfold this scroll that's been rolled up. It's been written on front and back. It's got your future in it. It's got the future of the history of the world in it. God knows your future. God knows your destiny. God knows where you're headed. God knows what's next in your life. And the only one that's worthy to open this scroll, the seven seals that hold it together, is his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you will believe and trust in him, you will understand that this scroll has your name on it. This scroll has your destiny on it. This scroll has your future on it. We have problems, but heaven has a plan. You see that? Now, some of you thought I made that up, didn't you? Corey Ten Boone said that. Remember Corey Ten Boone from World War II that hit all the, the Nazis and away from the Germans? She said, we have problems, but heaven has plans. And in this throne room, God is holding a scroll that is the scroll of history that's coming. What is the future? What is it going to be like? Now, if any generation has ever thought about the future more than ours, I don't know what generation it would be, but everybody I've talked to can't wait until New Year's Eve. Because when New Year's Eve gets here, 2020 is behind us, right? Everybody wants to start all over in 2021. And praying and hoping that 2021 has got to be a whole lot better. And yet we kind of hold our breath and wonder, is it really going to be that much better? God knows what 2021 is going to be like. And Jesus is going to be the Lamb of God in chapter 5 of Revelation that opens this uh, this scroll and helps us understand how God is in control of our history, how God is in control of our world, and what this world is coming to. And in short, here's what the world is coming to. There is in this world a struggle between good and evil, Satan and holy God. And Satan thought that he had destroyed this Lamb of God when he crucified him on the cross. But the truth is, this Lamb of God did die, and he died for the sins of the world, and he was raised from the grave. And when this Lamb was raised from the grave, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, he ascended into heaven, and he's coming back again. The first time that Jesus came, he came in grace. He did not come to judge. He did not come to condemn, he said, I came to give you grace. He came to give his life. He came to pay the price of our sin on the cross. That was his first coming. But he's coming back again. And when he comes in, he's going to be the judge. He's going to be the judge. And the final battle between good and evil is going to be fought, was actually fought on the cross of Jesus Christ. And guess who wins? God does. God in his goodness and his love always overcomes evil. God in his goodness and his love has conquered the power of death. That we no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear the uncertainty of what is beyond this life. Because God has waiting for us eternal life. That's what God has for you, eternal life. 
And in this scroll that he's going to open up that's going to talk about the history that's going to come, it's a, it's a, it's a very complicated story. And, and it's played out in several scenes, if you will. But the end result is that God has the last word of victory for all who believe in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And if you will trust Jesus with your life, you will have eternity with him in his holy heaven. And if you say no to Jesus and keep saying no to Jesus, then you don't have that assurance. You don't have that assurance. So worship lifts us up from this earthly perspective to a heavenly perspective to understand that there's more coming. There's, the best is yet to be for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. Newport in his commentary said that believers are encouraged in a moment of discouragement. We are encouraged in a moment of discouragement to know that God is on the throne and that the God on this throne loves you, willing to die for you. Who has more love for you than that? No one but the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. There's a there's a little golf tournament going on this weekend in Augusta, Georgia. Anybody keeping up with that? It's The whole world's out of kilter. It's usually in March or April, isn't it? But the Masters Tournament is in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, I went by there one time. That's a magnificent place, I tell you. And uh, that tournament's taking place right now. Some guy named Dustin Johnson's ahead. I don't know if he's ahead right now or not, but I've never heard of him. But uh, he may win that thing. The only name I know is Arnold Palmer and Tiger Woods. That's <laughs> Arnold's dead and Tiger's about, might as well be dead because he's not doing so good either. He's even as of, as of today. But back in 1961, when Arnold Palmer was a, a, a challenger on that, uh, on that Masters Tour, he got all the way to the last day, the last round, the 19th uh, hole. Uh, he got to the last hole, 18th hole, and and it was his, and it was like a tee off time, and uh, he he saw a buddy in the stands there that had recognized him and waved at him, and he, he went over there and he said hello to the guy, and he had the tournament won, all he had to do was finish the last hole, but he came back and he teed off, and what did he, what did he hit? Sand trap, and he lost the tournament because he got distracted from the game. And I think a lot of people are getting distracted from the game of life because there's so many other attractive things that are going on that we discount how important our time with God is. Listen to me carefully. The end game of your life is an appointment with Holy God. The end game of your life is an appointment with Holy God. It's appointed unto man once to die and after death for what? The judgment. Are you prepared to stand before the throne of God at your appointed time? None of us will miss that appointment. We may not be prepared or we may be prepared. I'm prepared I'm just not ready. Does that make sense? I'll admit it, Bill. I'm, 
I'm prepared because I've accepted Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I'm prepared because I'm trusting in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be the resurrection that I will have in heaven someday. There's just part of me that needs to get ready, ready better. Is that a word? There's a part of me that needs to get ready better. There's some repenting I need to do. There's some changing I need to do. There's some, some more uh, changes that I need to make in my life to be more like Jesus Christ and to be in touch with Him. And you know how I do that? I take time to worship. Because when I come into the throne room of God, I am so called into this love of God that is holy and pure and beautiful and wonderful that I want to hold on to that forever and ever. And I never want to disappoint the God who loves me. I never want to disappoint the God who gave his life to save me. I want to be with him in that holy heaven forever and ever. The Lamb of God we've looked at today is the one who is worthy of our best worship. Let's give him our best worship. What's the best way you can worship the Lord? <clears throat> In your lifetime, when you feel like you have been taken advantage of, in your lifetime, when you feel like you've been abused by somebody, in your lifetime, when you feel like you've been mistreated, in your lifetime, when you feel you have been treated unjustly, and you feel like, God, I have been stripped of all that is mine, and Lord, do you want me to come and, and offer what I have to you? And the Lord says, yes. Give me what you got left. Because that'll be your best gift. I remember that in the Bible days. Jesus was in the, near the, in the temple there and he was watching people give their alms in the temple and these Pharisees that had made their wealth from the people of the, from, from the worshipers who came were offering their big offerings they, they weren't offering their money. They were offering everybody else's money. They, they didn't give anything. You know, they hadn't sacrificed anything. But here was this lady who had so little. She only had a little purse with one little penny in it. That's all she had. She had no means of making a lot of money. She had no means of, um, of having fame and fortune and all those things to daddy. She had no big talents to offer God. When we think about worship and offering God, we think about all this good stuff we've got to give God. She just had a little penny. And she gave it to the Lord. She gave it to the temple. And Jesus said to these wealthy religious people around him, this woman has given more in worship to God than all of you put together. So my point today is, as you worship the Lord sometimes, you feel like you don't have a whole lot to give. You feel like you've been stripped of, 
things that are important to you. You've been denied something. You felt left out. And in your heart, you're like, praise God, I just want to cuss. Praise God, I just want to go throw a temper tantrum. Praise God, I just want to act out and, and, and make fool of myself. Well, instead of rebelling, give what little you have to the Lord. It is your best act of worship. And John, on that island of Patmos, did he have a lot to give and worship? No. He was 90-something years old. He was a slave. He had, he had no retirement income. He had nothing to tithe. And the Lord said to him, John, I have an open door here, and I invite you to come look into the throne room. And John got all excited when he heard the four living creatures sing, and he got all excited when he heard 24 elders sing, and he got all excited when he heard the angels sing, and they all sang together, and they sang, Worthy art thou to take the book, to break the seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom, to be priests unto God, and they will reign upon the earth. And they sang another song, and John says it got louder, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then finally, all of creation joins in in a huge crescendo and they sing to Him who sits on this throne, to the Lamb, blessing, honor, glory, dominion forever and ever. And the elders said, see, y'all could be elders in that. Isn't that awesome? So when you feel like you don't have much to give the Lord in worship, that's when you need to worship Him the most. Does that make sense to you? Is that not a call to the church today? Is that not an application for us? He's worthy of our best service because to worship Him is to serve Him. He was slain he ransomed us by his blood. He has gathered people from every tribe and language and people and nation into his kingdom. He has made them priests and he has pointed them to reign on the earth. Praise be to God. You know, I just need to worship a whole lot more. I just need to take a break from the troubles and trials of this life and say, Lord, bring me a glimpse into your throne room and may I join all your creatures, all your elders and all your angels and sing songs of praise to my Jesus and my Lord. You know what it'll do to you? It'll change you. It may not change your circumstances, but it'll change you. And because you are transformed, by worshiping God, you are now a martyr, a witness to the world that's looking for something to worship. Everybody in the world is worshiping something. Paul said in Romans 6, 16, Know you not that to whom you yield yourself, servants to obey, his servants you are to him you obey, whether of sin and of death or of obedience unto righteousness. Everybody is worshiping something. 
the Hindus are worshiping something. Every culture in society, anthropologists will tell you this. Margaret Mead would tell you that. Y'all studied Margaret Mead in high school and college. Uh, she'll tell you that. Every culture has always tried to worship something. Even if it was a pole sitting on the, sitting on the bank of a river, which is where Baton Rouge got its name, Red Pole. Uh, even if it's a red pole sitting on the side of the river, we're going to worship something. How blessed to know that the God we worship invites us into a personal relationship with Him where He transforms us through that worship. Now I said a while ago, I need to be a better worshiper. I'm going to give you four or five quick things of how to be a better uh, worshiper. Some changes that need to be made. And we're, here's where it gets kind of tough. Number one, we need to be transformed from the vulgarity of this world. We live in a vulgar world. The language we speak around our friends on campus, at work, is a vulgar world. And we need to refrain from that vulgarity. We need to speak a different language. A language that builds others up. A language that speaks truth in love. A language that does not join in to the uh, degrading vulgarity of this world. Because folks, this world is passing away. And if you join in, you're joining in a world that's passing away. Number two, we need to refrain from being critical and judgmental. And start loving people as they are. And you don't have to like everybody. Isn't that good news? You don't, you don't have to like everybody. But you do. You must love everyone. And we need to get out of this sarcasm and put down mode. And put those away. Because that hinders our that, that hinders our understanding of God in the throne room when we go to see Him. We also, number three, need to be slow to anger and quick to listen. And I, that's something I have to work on all the time. Because I am so reactionary to the world in which, in which I live. And I'm learning that if I just listen, I'll learn a whole lot more. And I will be used of God more through a listening ear because I've been transformed so that I can hear angels sing. I've been transformed so that I can hear elders sing in God's holy heaven. I've been transformed so that I understand when the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to me because I've learned to listen. If I'm talking all the time, if I'm talking down to people all the time, if I'm critical all the time of myself or others, then I'm not listening. And what I need to do is listen to God's Holy Spirit who is saying to me, you are worthy, not because of who you are, but who I've made you to be. I love you so much that I have died for you. That's how much I value you. We need to refrain from being arrogant and self-righteous. 
And if we can turn away from having our way, the way I want it, you know, more relationships, and hear this seriously, more relationships are destroyed because somebody has the need to be right. I just got to be right. He's wrong and I'm right. They're wrong and I'm right. And I'm so proud of my rightness. Well, folks, your rightness is keeping you from enjoying the throne room. Because guess what? Everybody that's in the throne room is saying, I'm wrong (laughs) and God is right. They're bowing before the Lamb of God and saying, I was wrong, but God is right. I was mistaken, but God is always right. And I worship Him. I worship Him. We need to move away also from this idea of materialism. Because we, when we are invited into the throne room of God, there was not one U-Haul trailer in chapter 4. Not one. There was not one storage bin or extra bedroom or extra anything in chapter 4. No U-Haul trailers. Folks, you can't take it with you. It won't fit in the throne room. Because when you get it up there, God says, hey, we don't allow junk up here. (laughs) He says, when you look out over heaven... It's a sea of glass that holds up God's holy heaven. Not concrete, not brick, not uh, dirt roads, but a sea of glass. And the, the streets that we walk on are paved with gold. Listen to this. Gold that you can see through. I've never seen gold that I can see through. He said these gates that are made of pearl, heaven is 1,200 miles high, 1,200 miles wide, 1,200 miles long. And the 12 gates of heaven are open so that we go in and out the throne room of God through all of eternity and continue during the week in the new earth that he has placed us on, doing the creative work with God that he designed us to do. Some people think we're going to be up there in heaven and we're going to be uh, standing on a cloud and we're going to be singing in the choir. And I notice there are a lot fewer pews in the choir than there are out here. Not everybody sings in a choir. But in God's holy heaven, according to Revelation, there'll be 12 entrances to this holy uh, place called heaven, and people will come and go, and the people that are coming and going will not be anyone that's evil. All evil has been eradicated by then, but you will carry on your work of creativity in God's new creation. Listen, folks. God never separates His holy heaven from His holy earth. He doesn't separate these. Alright? So when you get to heaven, you've got something to do. And it'll be fun. And it'll be energizing. And it'll be based upon your creativity and how He made you. 
and all will be to the glory of God. And you will reign with Christ forever and ever. And whatever that society is like and whatever that fellowship is like, it's joyous and it's happy. Somebody asked me, if my dog dies, will I see my dog in heaven? And first time I heard that, I, I laughed. And then as I got older, I had a pet kitty cat that I lost. And I thought, I sure hope our little Abby is in heaven. And I don't have an answer to that question, but I know one thing. If you have any experience in this life that has brought you joy without sin, joy without sin, that's what heaven's going to be like. Joy without sin. And worshiping God around the throne room with all of God's angels and all of God's living creatures is going to be, I don't know, indescribable. Now don't you want to go? Have you made preparation? You're either prepared or you're not prepared. If you're not prepared, you need to be prepared. And the way to be prepared is to receive Christ in your heart, in your life, by asking him to forgive you of sin and come and take charge of your life. That's how you get prepared. You may be prepared but not ready. And the way to get ready is to do some of these things I begin to share with you today. Reject the vulgarism of our, of our world, criticism, being judgmental. Listen more. Quit being so mean-spirited and self-righteous and arrogant and materialistic and unrepentant. That's how you get ready. And when Christ comes calling for you, you'll be ready. Let's bow together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this little glimpse of heaven today. For hearing these minions of angels sing, these 24 elders, all of God's people in the Old and New Covenant, to know that in heaven we're going to be glorifying you for eternity and that in your holy heaven there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. No more sorrow. And I pray for that person here today that's not prepared, that they will come as we sing this invitation. Just come and be seated here on the front row and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I want to forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and forgive me of my sin, be my Savior and my Lord. I pray for all of us who say we are prepared that we will be more ready. And look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. The Lord, you be praised and glorified as we sing this invitation song. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said, Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. 
If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.